0: Welcome to
1: the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas
0: Theological Seminary.
2: Welcome to the Table, where we discuss issues about the connection between God and culture. And our topic today is cultural engagement and culture making. And our guest via Skype is Andy Crouch author of Culture Making, Recovering Our Creative Calling, and Andy hosted an uh, a all-day seminar here at the seminary uh, uh, a while back, and we have uh, wanted to follow up with him because he did such a great job. So, Andy, welcome. Uh, glad to have you with us.
1: Thank you very much. So glad to be here. Wish I could be there in person. It was great when I was there, in yeah, well, we're, being there.
2: Well, we really enjoyed having you. And then to my right here is Andy Seidel, who's the executive director of the Howard G. Hendricks uh, Center for Christian Leadership. And we're adding on in cultural engagement. There we right? go. And, so, uh, and I am Daryl Bach, executive director of the Center for the Cultural Engagement Aspect. So you've got the full team here as we awesome. discuss uh, culture. <laughs> (laughs) together. Andy, I'm just going to dive right in. Uh, Let's talk first about a word that I think at the seminar you said is one of the most difficult words to define in the English language. (laughs) With an introduction like that, (laughs) I'm going to give you 30 words or less. Uh, uh, um, (laughs) Uh, No, uh, define define culture. culture. Yeah, what is culture and how should we think about it?
1: So I borrow uh, a a wonderful definition from culture uh, from the journalist Ken Myers, and he sums up what um, I think a lot of sociologists and anthropologists take many more words to say. (laughs) Uh, Ken defines culture as what human beings make of the world in both senses. So that's quite a bit under 30 words, so let me say just a couple more words about that. Uh, Culture is what we make of the world, and by that, I think Ken intends us to pay attention, first of all, to the material aspect of culture. It's actually the physical production of human activity. Uh, It's not just ideas. It's not just values. It's not just um, art or the works of imagination. It's actually embodied, you might say, in very concrete things that people make. And then it's also, uh, although it is material, it's also the other sense of that phrase, what you make of the world, which is it's the human attempt to find meaning in the world uh, and to discover, if we can, (laughs) what does this world signify? Uh, What's the significance of life in this world that seems mysterious, beautiful, wonderful, terrible, uh, but doesn't come with any explanation sort of written out or any obvious explanation just uh, naturally? So it's that combination of meaning making and material making uh, that that adds up to culture.
2: And so when we talk about meaning making in particular, we're talking about the fact that, that we as human beings invest uh, the things around us and the combination of the way things interact around us with meaning. And yes. and the flip side of this is is that although uh, we make meaning for culture, culture also, in very many ways, shapes us as well. Because we we aren't born in a vacuum; we walk into these into this meaning making that's going on around us. Is that correct?
1: We come in, th- you know, thousands and thousands of years into the story of human beings making something mm-hmm. in the world, and thank goodness we don't have to. Uh, sort of start from scratch because <laughs> we'd have to discover fire, and <laughs> invent the wheel, um, uh, invent language. No, it, you're absolutely right. And this is a very important aspect of culture is it, its kind of uh, reflexive and iterative nature. Uh, That is, uh, it's iterative. This process happens over and over again, in one sense with every generation. But in another way, it's reflexive in that that we make it, but then it turns around and acts on us, Uh, most of all in human development. Uh, You arrive as a little baby. And the first thing you start to try to do is make sense of the world that you're in. And that world is just as much cultural as natural. And and so you start trying to figure out what all this means, uh, including language and symbolism and music and stories, uh, as well as concrete artifacts. Um, so culture acts on us. And in fact... Um, Yeah, I'm I'm sure we're going to talk later about, you know, should Christians be transforming culture, withdrawing from culture? uh,
2: That's where we're going.
1: That's where we're going. (laughs) Yeah. It's very important to remind ourselves that culture acts on us and transforms and shapes us much more than we ever shape it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm much more shaped by culture than I could in my wildest dreams hope to affect or shape culture. And that's the reflexive power of culture.
2: Well, I'm going to work our way there. And the way I want to work our way there is to talk about um, the fact that really, in many ways, we aren't just talking about culture as a single monolith, but culture itself is made up of many, if I can say, little cultures that are within it that also interact with each other and I think the best way to illustrate this and I'm going to bring in Andy here in a second on this but when my wife and I moved to Germany for sabbatical all the rules for marital interaction and what you could do in the society changed. Wow. Things that she could normally do here and have happen effectively she was cut off from doing in part because she didn't know the language so that was a little bit of a disadvantage And, and then secondly the culture respect responded to a woman doing certain things in a certain way that uh, made it less comfortable for her to initiate that process and so I had to step in and our, our, our line was we moved, and all the rules changed uh, and uh, Andy I yeah. know has had a lot of experience yeah. in Eastern Europe i 'm sure you found the same thing is that is that true
1: oh very much so We, we lived really outside of Vienna in Austria and they had very different rules than we did here. For example, my wife used to walk every morning, and she'd walk the same path, and she would see these two women, and it took Really, she said about three or four years before they would smile, and then it was another year before they would talk to her.
2: Okay, now I don't even want to know what kind of culture making that is, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, but but that's the point. The point is is that is that what we view as culture here in say uh, Dallas, which is where we are, or where you're looking. I don't even where are you sitting these days?
1: Yeah. I'm sitting in uh, Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia.
2: Okay, so you're outside of Philly. We won't get into the Dallas Philly thing in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. and, uh, uh, and 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 uh, th- that th- even within the United States, those are different yes. mini cultures. And then you turn around and you change countries, and the rules change yet again. Mm-hmm. Shows how complex culture is. Correct? Uh,
1: absolutely. And in fact, I think you can make a pretty strong case that the the idea of culture as a kind of abstract noun really emerged from encounters with different cultures. You when you know the sort of a cliche, but it's a useful cliche. Uh, As long as you are a fish swimming in one little pool, uh, you don't think of yourself as being in the water, you know, Uh, and people talk about culture that way. Um, It's, it's, it's very much in the background until you leave your home environment. Uh, and you go to some place where it's, it's fellow human beings, they're, you know, they're homo sapiens, image bearers just like us, but they've made something very different of the world, sometimes shockingly different, disturbingly different. Um, and the attempt to sort of uh, give a name to all those different patterns of making is, is what we mean when we use the word culture in the abstract. But culture never exists in the abstract. It's always the produ- the, the product of a specific history of people trying to make something of the world. And it's affected by geography. It's affected by by history, just by the happenstance of history. So the, just the story of what happened in, in Austria or Germany is different from what happened in Texas. Uh, and that has generated, I think you used a very interesting, rule, uh, interesting word, which is rules. Um, one of the things cultures do is tell us how the world, not just how it is, but how it ought to be. And they impose um, sanctions, both in the sense of positive uh, reinforcement and negative reinforcement, uh, when you either make the world the way it ought to be or violate the world the way the world ought to be. Uh, and and this gets to a very important point about about all cultures. Um, They're not just sort of neutral background. They really do tell us what you are allowed to do. Are you allowed to talk to a stranger? How are you allowed to talk to a stranger? What are you allowed to say to a stranger? Uh, They tell us what you can do, what you cannot do, and they really constrain human action as well as make human action possible. This is one of the things I like to emphasize because when we think culture is just about music or art or, or even ideas or values, um, we can leave the impression it's kind of optional. I mean, you know, if you don't have to go to an art museum if you don't want to. But you are bound to and bound by culture. And it is shaping your assumptions about what it is to be human every single moment of the day. If you're a and fish,
2: now, that water is all around you whether you <laughs> want right. it to be or that, not. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and,
1: and you need it as much as the fish needs it. Yeah. Right? If we could right. somehow take you out of culture, you'd be gasping. You wouldn't know who you were. You would be. You would actually be not less free than you are. Even though culture also constrains your freedom, it's a very interesting kind of paradox there.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com.
2: Yeah, well, uh, that, we, we, I don't want to turn this into a seminary class on the abstract idea of culture, so I, I, I want to <laughs> shift our attention a little bit. One of the other things you emphasize that I think people don't normally think about when they think of culture is this idea that culture isn't just ideas or values. It's also the things that we produce that that shape the way we live. And, I, and, I, and in the book, you use the example of what happened when the interstate highway system came to the – United States and 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 just the change that that meant that generated all kinds of industry or it promoted some existing industries it it put pressure on other things that did exist that had existed and made them in some ways perhaps less valuable or changed where they fit uh, there was all this kind of cause and effect I think in our own lifetime here lately the, the thing that shows this more than anything else may be the, the little thing called the iPod uh, <laughs> which when it showed up generated all kind it made all kinds of things possible it also relativized if I can use that word a whole lot of other things that existed um, so that's another dimension of culture we often don't think about that is culture making as well isn't it
1: This is really why I ended up titling the the book I wrote about this, Culture Making, because it really is when we make things, (laughs) you know, the technical term for these, I suppose, is artifacts. Uh, You can also think of them, a phrase I like is cultural goods. Cultural goods are the medium by which even the most intangible parts of culture are are expressed and made manifest and, and in a way kind of enforced. And when you make a new cultural good, it it can be, it's almost always both something very specific, like an iPod. And usually there's a whole system behind that. So you think about iTunes, the software Mm -hmm. behind the iPod. Um, These very concrete goods, along with the systems that kind of support them, you can think about cars and interstates in the same way it starts to move the horizons of possibility for human beings. That is to say, some things become possible that were not possible before. There was no way for me to carry around my music collection uh, with me wherever I went uh, before the iPod and and its immediate predecessors, mp 3 players. Uh, Suddenly, I can do that. Well, that then has all these knock-on effects, which are fascinating and important to understand because they really do reshape the way they live. The way that we live, but at the same time, that some things are becoming impossible. uh, Sorry, some things are becoming possible. Other things are becoming impossible. That is to say, uh, the introduction of cultural goods doesn't just expand the horizons so that more and more things become possible. It moves the horizons so that some things that were completely possible before are now all but impossible. Now, Uh, for example, making money as a record company (laughs) (laughs) Uh, was very possible in the with, 45, with, with 45 with 45 rpm, RPM. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. right certain artifacts become you know just history they become art- artifacts in the archaeological sense relics of another time mm. they had tons of meaning you know for a, a person of a certain age the 45 rpm has all this significance but to my 16 year old son it means nothing right it has no it doesn't impinge on his life in any way Um And that's how culture works. It's constantly moving these horizons. And and the important corollary of this is if we want to see culture change, it's not enough to change ideas. Uh, And it's definitely not enough just to change hearts or attitudes. We've got to actually give people a way to act on those new ideas. And, And frankly, if you can provide a compelling enough cultural good, Uh, The ideas and shape of life will follow that good, rather than you having to convince them of the idea first. Sometimes the goods come before the idea. So the invention of uh, keeping time, clocks, first water clocks, then, uh, you know, tower clocks in Europe, Mm -hmm. and then eventually watches. Those things were invented and then reshaped the way people thought about time, rather than people saying, you know, we need to be more timely, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. let's invent a watch. It didn't work that way. It went the other way around.
2: Well, and and of course, sometimes when you invent something, there's uh, and this will be the last abstract question we deal with. But sometimes when you invent something, there's what you intend to do with it, and then there are the That's consequences that come out of it that you didn't even have in mind, but that someone else uh, who culture makes does with it, and it goes off in a direction, and it can go in any. Kind of direction intended or not, Uh, which shows how dynamic culture is and how difficult it is to. If the word is difficult, my goodness, the whole phenomenon of culture is difficult because it's like it's like an untamed tiger in some ways.
1: Absolutely, you and you really you do not. uh, No one has the capacity to predict. Uh, what any significant cultural innovation will do—it's—it's uh, it's because too—it's too public. Too many people act on it. Too many people respond in unpredictable ways. You know, one of the most remarkable um, results of the interstate highway system, well, the the most remarkable result was suburbia. Um, I mean, 50% of Americans, more than 50% now live in suburbs. And that really, suburbs, the way we know them now, did not exist before the interstate highway system. Uh, But but, uh, I think you might have been able to foresee that to some extent. But who would have foreseen the rise of fast food Uh, And fast food is also an artifact of the highway system. You would not have these dominant fast food chains uh, if we hadn't had interstate highways. I guarantee you that when Dwight Eisenhower signed the uh, National Interstate Highway and Defense Act, he was not thinking about McDonald's being, you know, <laughs> one of the largest companies in the world. Um, but that's a result, and you never can foresee those kinds of uh, effects.
2: Now, all of this means I'm going to turn a practical direction. Now, all this means that we need to be, if I can use this word, a little bit humble about how we think about culture, mm-hmm. interact with culture, uh, our expectations about culture changing. There's a lot of Christian language today about about culture changing you've highlighted the issue of culture making in contrast I want you to explain why that is and and why that difference is so important to appreciate and I think we've set the context for that by what we've
1: yeah. said yeah yeah I know you know this first section has been kind of abstract but it's important it's foundational because <laughs> it chastens uh, our pride or hubris are are overreaching. And I started to feel part of why I wanted to call uh, call this book and and this sort of uh, line of thought culture making is I started to hear these just crazy verbs being thrown around. (laughs) Like, we're here to impact the culture. Now, the first problem with that is that is not a verb. Uh, and I, I'm going to hold the line. I refuse to let impact become a verb. But, I mean, that's a very strong word. You know, impact. You know, my mm-hmm. fist impacts your, you know, uh, cheek or whatever. Um, you, the The chance of any person or any group of people Uh, doing anything remotely like impact when you're talking about something as complex, as multifaceted, as responsive, as cumulative as, as culture is very small. Um, you know, even the verb, it's a, uh, a softer verb, but transforming culture, uh, which Richard Niebuhr used uh, in his book, Christ and Culture. His kind of punchline is, rather than being against culture or being simply seeing Christ as being of culture, we should talk about Christ transforming culture. When you turn that into Christians transforming culture, let's leave aside what Christ may be doing, but wh- what are we doing? I think it's way overreaching to think that we can transform culture. That is above our pay grade by many steps, and the problem is, if you set yourself up to try to have a transformative impact, uh, you are likely to mortgage yourself to whatever you think can get you there, uh, and you will end up being you'll end up being implicated in all kinds of uh, foolishness that you shouldn't have been. Uh, and a very classic example of this is the way that the rel- religious right in its quest to transform American politics, at least for a season, became very captive to other interests within the Republican Party. Uh, and, And they were much more transformed by entering the Republican Party than the Republican Party was transformed by them. And that tends to happen when you overreach in this way. Join us next week for part two of The Table podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary.
0: Teach truth, Love Well.